Uh, I sure hope you're doing well. I want to welcome those who are watching online. Uh, we're also glad that you are part of what's happening this morning. We're going to start with a word of prayer. Jesus, thank you so much for the beauty of the day and the high honor we have to worship together. Uh, especially, Lord, uh, man, every Sunday, you know, two billion people around the planet who believe in the truth outside of themselves even say, we're going to gather together in this name. It is worth honoring. And I just think that's awesome to be part of. It's not just the Alive community, but all across our county, all across the cities we're part of, and all across our world. How awesome is that? I just am grateful for that, Lord. Grateful to be part. Grateful to be with these folks. I pray over the next few moments that you would awaken our hearts uh, for, in, in one area. We all want to leave here and be more like you. That's the goal. We just want to be more like Jesus in how we love, how we live our lives, our personal integrity, our marriages, how we raise our kids. We just want to be more like you. And so would you reveal to us what you would have us take away from this morning? And we'll, we'll give you glory for that. In your name, amen. <clears throat> uh, war is this definition. It's simply a struggle uh, to achieve a goal. That's what war is. It's a simple struggle to achieve uh, a goal. And, um, and so what that means is whether or not a conflict is actually worth entering into has everything to do with this. If this is what war is, oh, do we just go back there? So if war is just a struggle to achieve a goal, everything has to do with that. So if we're going to go to war over something, what we're going to war over is whatever that is and however we're going to define that. And so what that means is whether or not you and I are willing to sacrifice whether you and I are willing to put ourselves in harm's way, all depends on that goal. So some things you and I are going to spat over, but some things I'm not going to spat with you over. And spat is not like the past tense of spit. I mean like fight, okay? But I just don't want to say fight. But so that's kind of what the whole thing is. You and I will have conflict over one thing, but other things I'll say, yeah, I don't care. Whatever you want, wherever you want to go on that, that's, that's the deal. So, so said another way is this, and this is kind of what I started writing down this week when I thought about my own life. What am I willing to go to battle for? What gets my blood boiling in this day and at this point in my life? What piques my interest? What, what, what heightens my passions? What, what gets my imagination running? You know, my sense of injustice awakened. What kind of triggers all that? And we all go to all kinds of wars over all kinds of different things. You know, some of us right now are battling cancer. And it's a fight, and we know it's a fight. And, and not just us, but people we love are battling with us over this disease. And some of us are going to war over our families. In fact, that may be why some of you even got to church today, is because right now, your marriage, your kids, your family, you feel like it's hanging on by a thread. And so you end up here because you're going to war. It's one of the steps you're taking. I'm willing to fight for this. Some of us are going to war over a, over a number on a scale, right? You know, we, went to, we got started the year off, we stepped on the scale, and the scale just simply said, hey, get off. And so, you know, we're kind of like, okay, well, I probably need to do something about that. And so you went to war over that. You changed your strategy. You changed the way you, what you eat, or maybe you're exercising, or, or maybe you just said, forget it. I'm going to try to break the scale. And, you know, just kind of went the other way. But there's a battle going on there. Some of us went to war over, are going to war over the environment, and we just want to Try to preserve what God has created. Some of us are going to war right now in this room over an addiction. You know, you're fighting, fighting an addiction. Maybe it's still private. Maybe your addiction went public. But the, but the battle is, is, is really, it's waging right now. And you're going to war over that. And all of us, many of us, would go over to war for our children. You know, we're going to fight over that. If you, if you, you know, if you were going to poke mama bear, this is the moment that it's going to get ugly for you, you know, because we're going to, or maybe our kids are kind of distant from us. Or maybe we don't like some things going on in our kids' lives. Or maybe we're trying to figure out, uh, 
as our kids are becoming young men and young women. We're trying to figure all that out, and, and so we're going to war over that. And so here's, here's where all this kind of leads to this tough question. Do I place enough value in what Jesus has actually done for me to enter the struggle of introducing others to Jesus? Let's just, let's just get real. Let's get vulnerable for a moment. Has Jesus, is he that big a deal in my life? Do I place enough value, wars, struggle to achieve a certain goal, do I place enough value in that, that I'm willing to introduce others to Jesus, that it is important to me, that you, someone I love, someone I know, you, you will embrace Jesus too. Does it matter that much to me? And, and, and that's the question we've been kind of dealing with in this series the problem with this is, is that there's this tension in our culture, and it's a tension all of us feel. And the tension is really threefold. Uh, the scripture, at its, or I'm sorry, it's Christianity at its foundation, at its basic DNA level, has this belief, okay? And it's this, there's a heaven, there's a hell. And everyone in all of history is going to spend eternity in one or the other, based on what they do with the person of Jesus Christ. So that's like this foundational teachings of Christianity. So two billion people supposedly on the planet embrace that idea. My, my disconnect is it doesn't seem like we're all living like that. So there's this heaven and there's a hell and every person that and we spend eternity with that I, not just people I don't know, but people in my circle, you know, they're going to spend eternity in one of those based on what they do with Jesus Christ and and what I mean by this is heaven is living eternally in the unlimited presence, power, and grace of God. And hell's the opposite of all that. Hell's, hell's living eternally under condemnation and being separated from God. So now what we have to decide is whether or not we believe it. We have to decide whether or not we believe this. I'm not talking about giving it lip service. This isn't lip service church. I mean, I'm talking about do we really believe that to be true? And if it is true, should it change the way we do life? Should it change the way we live? And the second point of the tension is this. So there's a heaven, there's a hell. And the second point of the tension has to do with what Jesus said. Because what Jesus said messed everything up. <laughs> because Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. Nobody gets to the Father except through me. Now we got a problem. There's a heaven, there's a hell. Got that, fine, I can deal with that. Jesus said, nobody gets to the Father except through him. Now we got a problem. That's problematic for us. Because either this statement is true or it's not, people. Listen, let me just help you. <laughs> Self-identity, whatever. Either it's true or not. Don't, don't give it an in-between. you. There's no way this can be true for that group but not true for this group. It's either true or not. And we have to determine that. Jesus said he's the way to the Father, out of the condemnation, out of guilt, out of that category, and into forgiveness. And it's either true for everybody or it isn't true for anybody. And if I'm going to live my life after this truth, I need to make doggone sure. That's like a preacher swear word. But I'm going to make doggone sure that it's true for me. And I'm willing to go to war over it. I'm willing to enter the struggle for that value. And that leads to this third point of tension. Because these two first points climb all over this culture and society. There's a heaven, there's a hell. Everybody's going to spend eternity there. I'm the only way. See, that, that rubs against two values in our culture 
And one value is everybody's get a trophy in our culture. And so what that means is anybody who says you can't have it all is, is, is not speaking truth. The other value in our culture is everybody can believe what they want to believe and it's all going to be okay. Well, Christianity says that's not true. Christianity says here's the foundational beliefs. So culture says exclusivity and relative ideas, relative truth, those are, these are, these are in conflict. And anybody says absolute truth is thought of as being small-minded or narrow-minded. And yet I marvel at this because our culture says you guys believe what you want to believe. That's fine. As long as your belief has room for this group to believe what they want to believe. Well, if that's true, what happens when this group disagrees with that group? One of y'all got to be right. And that's exactly kind of what Jesus said. So it's difficult in our culture to sort of toe the line. Current society would prefer the truth that changes with the preferences of the person or the development of a society or a culture. And we are, we are offended by any sense that a specific group gets, that only this specific group gets a trophy, if you will, that it's only specific people will actually live with Jesus. And that leads to this key question for each of us. Do you believe these truths enough that you're willing to enter the struggle with it? Do you believe enough there's a heaven, there's a hell? I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody gets the Father except in me. Do you believe those two truths enough that you are willing to enter the struggle for those? Has Jesus made enough of an impact in your life, in your marriage, from your past that you now want to enlist to serve with him even amidst a culture that's going to war against you? Today I want to add another military term kind of to the discussion, if you will. And it's this term, economy of force. Let me give you sort of a military definition, and then I'll try to clear it up for the rest of us that don't have a clue what the military is talking about. So here's kind of what it is. It says, to employ all combat power available in the most effective way possible and to allocate minimum essential combat power to secondary effects. Here's what this is basically saying. Here's going to be, if you'll allow me, here's going to be sort of the front, if you will, of this particular battle, this particular strategy. But the front doesn't function without making sure that some of these other things are opened as well, whether it's supply chains or whether it's some kind of other strategy that is secondary to the main one. Everybody follow what I say so far? Let me give it to you in Christianity world, see if this helps any. Economy of force is employing the most purposeful effort at the most important place at the most important time. So, so stay with me. I'm going to kind of, it's going to kind of be layers, I hope, that will reveal this. Again, you may be asking yourselves, what does this have to do with Jesus? Well, interestingly enough, did you know that Scripture actually defines the following of Jesus in, this, in, in war terminology? Scripture talks about the conflict that goes on in our war, in our world, with war terminology. But what's really interesting to me is when we talk about the conflict and tension in the world, what's really interesting to me is how Scripture defines the enemy, the enemy's not another country. It's not a political party. It's not someone that, uh, on a, that someone you have to block on Facebook. You know, it's, it's, that's not the enemy. It's not a lobby group. It's none of that. But there is an enemy, and the Scripture's really clear about it. In fact, you probably know the verse I'm getting ready to share with you, so I'm going to let you look it up for yourself. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to share it with, for you from the message paraphrase. So if you want the real verse, go look it up for yourself. 
But for, for this morning, I'll share with you the paraphrase. Here's what, the, here's what the paraphrase is. This is from Ephesians chapter 6. This isn't an afternoon athletic contest that we'll walk away from and forget about in a couple of hours. Talk about this life. This is for keeps. It's a life or death fight to the finish. Watch this. Against the devil and all his angels. These are the, this is the word of God. This is what scripture says. There's actually a battle. So in other words, that's the front. And so this struggle to achieve a goal, we have a commander and we have a king. Why? Because we're in this battle together. It's not, we're not led by an opinion guy, not by like an op-ed. We're not led by someone, oh, could you give me your opinion on this, God? We're led by commander and king. That's the terminology. Why? Because according to scripture, we're actually in some kind of war conflict. We don't need someone's opinion. Lord, what would you do out of these three options? We don't need that. What we need is a commander and a king. Because in his parting words, we need marching orders, if you will. And if we allow this thing to continue to ebb to the point where we think all of this is relative, then what will result is we will no longer want a commander and king. We'll just want somebody to sort of stay out of the way. There's these parting words that Jesus gave us. And the reason these parting words, the only way these parting words will make sense to you is if you understand we're in this battle. Because they're parting words of a commander and king. This is what he said. Last words he said before he went to be with the Father. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptize in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to observe all that I commanded. Now, there is an astonishing claim in these words that I would respectfully offer as maybe the point of division in your life when it comes to following Jesus. Because what Jesus said here lines up directly with where my crisis of belief tends to be or where the intensity of my belief sort of, sort of, sort of doesn't, loses its power because it rests on this one claim in Jesus' parting words. And it's the part we have highlighted for you. Don't miss it. Jesus said, all authority. Now, that's a, that's a good word, but it's a different word. It's like all I'm in charge I'm the commander. I'm the king. Why? Because we're in a battle, and when it comes to a battle, I don't want opinions. I want to be commanded. Jesus says, I am the commander, and all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And that would have been so much easier if he left one of those off. All authority in heaven. Okay, well, that's not relevant to earth. But then he says, all authority in earth. So that means everything. He's the one in charge. But you know what? I don't like authority. It doesn't, doesn't set well with me a, a lot. I know it doesn't surprise some of you, but I, I struggle with it. I struggle with it even when it's Jesus. Oh, authority. And I was like, so what I tend to do is I tend to compartmentalize my Christianity to deal with that. Now, if you all, all make me feel like I'm alone here, I'm, it's going to be a bad day for me. Okay, so at some point, I hope we'll kind of say, oh, I see what he's saying now. So maybe that'll happen. I don't know. But just being honest with you, when it comes to Jesus having all authority in my life, I hold things back. Because I'm not sure I'm very comfortable with him having all authority. Don't get me wrong. 
I give God enough control, enough authority, so that I'm not worried about when I, go to, when I die and I stand before him, I'm not worried about whether I'm going to be in heaven. Does that make sense? But I hold some things back in this world. It's, it's tough to be sold out the whole route, to be bought in hook, line, and sinker when you're compartmentalizing. I'll give you some examples. It's like I'm comfortable with Jesus in some aspects of my life, but not in other aspects of my life. I do enough with Jesus that you and I can be in this place together and still be fine, but I hold some things back. I like Jesus to be Lord on Sunday morning, but sometimes I'm not as wild about him being Lord when I'm socializing. Are y'all with me now? Y'all leave me alone. Come on, the room's dark for a reason. You with me? Okay. All right, I'm just trusting you're all nodding. I can't see a thing, but I'm just trusting that you're with me. How about this one? I like Jesus to be Lord of my kids because I want my kids to say, I love Jesus, Jesus loves me. I want them to say and pray and all that kind of stuff. That's going to be wonderful. Yay. Oh, that's going to be great. But I'm not sure I want Jesus to be Lord of my stuff or my resources because I worked hard for that. I like Jesus to be Lord for me. But sometimes I'm not sure I want him to have anything to do with being Lord for you. Don't you love the pastor's heart? I'm just trying to be honest with you. I can make it a little more specific. I, I like Jesus to be Lord when you have to apologize to me and ask for forgiveness. That's a great time because then I can smile from my point of superiority. Yes. You are a pagan, aren't you? Man, but when Jesus comes tapping on my heart and saying, hey, Tom, you were a jerk to her, man. You need to go apologize and ask for forgiveness. I don't want him to be Lord then, man. Ooh. No, no, no. I like Jesus when I can use his teachings to affirm what I believe politically or socially. Because then I can say something on Facebook. But I don't like Jesus to be Lord when someone who thinks differently than I do posts on Facebook politically or socially and they have a good argument. I can't stand that. I like Jesus to be Lord when he helps me deal with my shame and guilt, but I think some of y'all need to be punished for it the rest of your life. Isn't it true? Don't we compartmentalize this a little bit? And yet here's my problem, and respectfully, if you've identified with what I've said so far, and if you haven't, I'll just kind of up the meds, but if you've kind of identified with what I've said, your problem, my problem is Jesus is either Lord of everything or he's not Lord of anything. It's no in-betweeny. That's something that our culture and the modern church has created. Either make him Lord or leave him the heck alone. There's no in-between. That's what he is. He's the commander. Andrew Murray writes it this way. God is ready to assume full responsibility for the life fully yielded to him. Isn't that good? Yeah, yeah Tom, that's great. Okay, thanks. You know, that's kind of what I think too. God is ready to assume. And isn't that sort of freeing? You know what, Lord? You're the dude. You're it. And so this life is your life. Have at it. In honor of the past week, I'm proud to bring this one along from one of the greats. Billy Graham said, God will not force himself upon us or against our will. If we want his love, we need to believe in him. 
We need to make a definite, positive act of commitment and surrender to the love of God. Nobody can do that for us. Friends, that's exactly where some of you are today, this very moment. You've got to decide. you got a Lord or do you got costume jewelry? Which is it? Are you going to follow a commander or are you looking for someone just to give you opinions about your life? Which is it? Because in life, we can still be in the Lord position because we determine what we allow Jesus to be Lord of and we hold things back. And some of us are holding our entire lives back. And I get that. You have yet to bend the knee. I get that. But the rest of us, we're holding key things back. We have yet to surrender to him as our Lord. And other of us are holding whole lives back. Some of us are holding the idea that he could be Lord. Lord, you can save me because I don't have to believe in a hell and what that is, save me from that. But don't get involved in my life beyond that. And we're holding things back, a relationship that we know is sour, habits that we know are going to wreck our lives, addictions that we know are way out of control, calling that God has placed in our hearts and we know it, but we're doing everything we can to ignore it. Now let me just, just jump out of this for a moment, and at a very personal level, as you can tell, you know, I, I wrestle with all these thoughts and these ideas And I remember at some point in my life coming to a point where I had to make this decision on a personal level. And here's kind of how it went for me. As I looked at all the different belief systems in the world and all the different options, and not all in the world, but all that I was aware of, and all these different options on the table, I concluded that Jesus was the most loving, benevolent one of all of them. For me. If you don't believe that, that's fine. But for me, that's what I I, I determined. And so I thought if I was going to build a life on something... This made the most sense to me. And I felt like Jesus and my relationship to him offered me a way out of all the junk and crap condemnation stuff that was part of my life and led me into this freedom and forgiveness. So I, 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 I decided to get in line with that. And the verse that, that, that kind of summarizes that is the one I shared last week. You know, God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son. To me, that's noteworthy. Because gods don't normally give things like this, especially things that cost them something. And if you give a son up, that's a cost. And then I make it personal. And Tom, if you believe in him, you're not going to perish, but you're going to have eternal life. God didn't send a son of the world to condemn you, Tom. But he sent it in order that you might be saved. So I said I can get behind that that's what i want to do with my life so the forty thousand foot view of what jesus said was go make disciples baptize and teach them that's kind of the front the mass front effort a mass effort if you will desire for all people to be saved but let's bring it down just a moment to the micro level if you've bought everything that we've been talking about at least can understand a little bit of this here's here's the economy of force level of all that i've been saying to you this morning You have been uniquely, strategically, and specifically positioned by God to have a certain level of influence in someone's life. You have. And so what that means is you can't invite Tom over for dinner and like hope Tom opens a can of whoop Jesus on your friends. You know, you can't do that. Because they may not like Tom at all. 
but they like you. In fact, they love you. You mean something to them. And so we've all been uniquely, strategically, and specifically positioned by God to have a certain level of influence in someone's life. My question, who has God positioned you for? Who? Just look around. See, sometimes I feel the need to sort of protect my non-Christian friends from weird Christians. Or, or, or from mean Christians, right? I wish Facebook would create a new button <laughs> that I could say, if this is how I thought Christ would act, I wouldn't be a Christian either. <laughs> I wrote some of these down, just from ones that I've seen on Facebook. Here's one. Aren't you hoping I don't read one of yours? <laughs> but I really, I'm really not. So, <clears throat> Yeah, I know. I know. Me too. So, <laughs> uh, here's one. A meteor hit Russia. Am I surprised? Nope. I've read my Bible. Oh, yeah, I missed that verse. God will wipe without Russia, thus saith me. You know, I don't know what that is. I mean, that's st- stupid face. I, so here's one. Protestants have been far too accepting of heresy. Our tent is too big. It's time to start kicking people out. Okay, but who's on the committee? Because I'm not sure I'm going to last. I don't know what we're kicking out for. This is my favorite one. The next person who says happy holidays to me is going to get drop kicked in the teeth. (laughs) That was my mom. No, I'm just kidding. It wasn't. It was not. It wasn't. It goes on. You think it can't get any better. Watch. Here it comes. Next person who says happy holidays to me is going to get drop kicked in the teeth. If you're offended by Merry Christmas, then get the blank, blank, blank out of the country. Wow. Jesus is great. Got some of those Christians you want to bless, you know, that kind of moment, you know? I just think it ought to be a new ministry, the laying on of hands ministry. And so, like, if you post something on Facebook, we're going to send the crew of the biggest and the brightest. Hey, you, you know, that's kind of going to be over for that. We're taking away the Christian card from you, buddy. No more social media for you. Here's my deal, guys. I... I don't think we ought to be a pain in the butt when we're talking about Jesus. Don't quote that. I mean, that's not the way it should have came out. I I don't think we ought to be obnoxious or offensive as we follow a commander. I don't think that's what this is. In fact, I think there's a real clear biblical model for how we introduce people to Jesus. If this is true, and it's true of my life, and I'm looking around at the people in my life that I have influence over, there's a real clear biblical model. Let me show it to you. Now, watch for the interpersonal connections. Just so you know, I'm not lying to you. Watch this just to see. I'm just going to read the passage for you. The next day again, John the Baptist, this is Jesus' cousin, you remember, who baptized Jesus, was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by, and he said, Behold the Lamb of God. Now watch this. The two disciples that were heard him say this, John the Baptist had disciples. Fair? And they heard him say this. They were following John the Baptist. John the Baptist says, that's the dude. They left John the Baptist and they followed Jesus. They didn't follow Jesus because they knew Jesus. They followed Jesus because they knew John the Baptist. And John the Baptist says, that's the one. And they went and followed him. Story goes on. They go up to Jesus and they say, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And Jesus said, Come, and you'll see. 
So they did. They came and saw where he was staying. Motel 6 in Jerusalem. And they stayed with him that day. For it's about the 10th hour. Pause. Did you notice that Jesus did not explain the Trinity in that moment? Did you notice that he did not explain predestination in that moment? He did not explain whether or not Adam and Eve had belly buttons in that moment. He just said, hey, come on and see. Verse 40, next verse. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. Now, Simon, Peter, and Cephas are all the same dude. The Bible just uses three different names for him to totally confuse us. Same dude. He first found his brother Simon, that's Andrew, and said to him, we have found the Messiah, that's Christ, the anointed one. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. Do you see what happened? He didn't go because he knew anything about Jesus. He went because his brother said, hey, come check this dude out. Come on. You got to see this. Found his own brother. Next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Philip was from Bethsaida, city of Andrew and Peter, same group. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found the one Moses and the law and all the prophets wrote about, Jesus Nazareth, son of Joseph. Nathanael said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? It's kind of like a slam on a little, little place called Nazareth. And Philip said, I don't know. Come and see. Just come and see. Now the thing I want you to notice is every person that was invited had a connection to the person doing the inviting. And it wasn't come out and explain everything to you. It's just simply come and see Jesus. Just come and see. Just come and see him. And if it works for you, great. But I mean, it's helping me. I just thought you should come and see. Why? I care about you. So last week I had you write down these names of people on those cards. And if you saw them, they're strung across the lobby this morning. It's an amazing thing. I walked in. I was just overwhelmed. And so if we put down names of people on those cards, if you weren't here, that we would love to get into a room with Jesus. And you all wrote down all these names. And that was awesome to go through. Some of you wrote down like Pelosi, Trump, Hillary, and Pastor Tom. That was hilarious. Thanks so much for that. (laughs) But for the most part, we wrote down names of people that are in our influence. You wrote down names of people in your families, people you work with, people you socialize with, people that are personal friends and family members. In fact, you know what? Last week, just to the Alive community, and the kids are doing it right now, so it's going to be a mess when you all get home, (laughs) but the kids are going to do it right now. Last week, we wrote down over 3,000 names. Not faceless names. Names that you know, you know them. 3,000 names. You know what I started praying for? 10% 10% of them. I did. I said, oh, Lord, just give us 10% of them, Lord. You say, why didn't you pray for 100%? I don't know. You pray for them. I don't know. But that's just kind of what I chose. And I hope it is 100%. 
3,000 people that I have to walk under every day that some of you have been strategically placed in their lives and they're hoping that you will just say, you want to come and see. Now listen, I know we're going to head into the freaky zone here because I know what some of you are thinking. Some of you would be thinking, well, I can't invite anybody because of the way I live. That's a, that's a load right there, man. You know why? Well, because of the model we just saw in Scripture. These guys weren't stellar followers of Jesus. They had some whack theology. It was all me first. They didn't even know who Jesus was, and yet they're saying, you got to come see this. And I know some of you else are thinking, you're thinking, man, if I invite them, they're going to say, hey, dude, I know what you do. And you say, yeah, you're right, yeah, I do. But all I can tell you is, is this is making a difference in my life. Maybe you could start a conversation with say, hey, I just want you to know I care about you. So I was thinking about this. And I'm the kind of person that this would be enjoyable for me, but like say like you're in, like in a bowling league. I don't know if those still exist or not, but I thought it'd be kind of cool. Like you're in a men's bowling league, say, and like you're, you're bowling and you bowl. And you say, hey, Frank, I care about you. <laughs> Frank, Frank, I'm going to punch you in the mouth. Yeah, I know. I get I, <laughs> Let me ask you something. Wouldn't you like to see Frank come to Jesus? Something on your list, wouldn't you want to see him come to Jesus? I do. You know what I felt when I wrote down the names on my list last week? Discouragement. I felt discouraged. And I know I should pick a better word for preaching purposes, but I just want to keep it real with you. I felt discouraged, and here's why. Because the one thing I want most for those people that I love is the one thing I cannot do for them. And I'm not good in that spot. I can't save or fix or change anybody. And that's a good thing because I'm a terrible God and I'd have a terrible idea. But based on that passage that I just read for you, hear me on this, just tell me whether or not it's true for you. I'm convinced that some of those people we wrote down on our list are going to be at a decisive point in their lives. And Jesus has strategically positioned, placed you to influence that person to the kingdom, you. In our politically correct world, we tend to say no before we ask people. I was kind of fleshing that out in my brain, and I was thinking, you know, I don't want any of my friends that I wrote down on that list to come to some point in their lives where they find Jesus. And then they come and find me. And they say, why didn't you ever tell me? I thought you'd say no. I didn't think you'd come. Friends, you don't have to be qualified to say come and see. You just have to be willing. Disciples are a mess. 
There's theologies all over the map. And you know what? Respectfully, we're all still a mess. And our theology is still way all over the map. We're all motivated by conflicting ideas. And but I just want the people on my list to come and see Jesus. And you know what? I want the people on your list to come and see Jesus too. You're not perfect. You're not expected to be perfect. You have wounds. Of course you do. Don't invite with the idea that you've got it all together. Invite with, I want you to come and see Jesus. He's making a difference in my life. And I love you. And I'd like him to make a difference in yours. I was going to keep going, but this was a significant week for Christendom. And so I brought a video along that I thought maybe you should hear it from one of the best. Watch the, watch the screens. Now you can't change your past, but you can determine your destiny by deciding for Christ. But Christ can change your past. He died on the cross so that all the sins you've ever committed, all the things you've ever done wrong, are forgiven. What do you have to do? You have to repent of your sins. That means to be willing to change your way of living. You may have no power to do it. You may not have power to give up some of those habits you know are wrong. You may not have power to fall in love with your wife again. You may not have power to change your whole life that you know needs to be changed. But if you surrender to Christ, he'll give you the power. You say, well, Billy, I don't know what else to do. I've been baptized. I joined the church and so forth. But I don't really have peace and joy and power in my life, all that you're talking about. How do I get it? Jesus Christ said, I am the way. Come to Christ. He will give you a new strength and a new power and a new joy and a new peace and a purpose for living. Every person that ever lived has to make the same choice. It's either the world and its pleasures and its gods or it's Christ. Which is it for you? Who are you choosing? Who are you voting for? Oh, Jesus. Uh, even early this morning when I was going over the notes, I got to this point and I was thinking, I'm so glad somebody invited me. <laughs> Who invites a teenager to go to a revival service? And what teenager says yes? Apparently you had a plan for me. And that plan was to show me your love. Love that I had never seen before. And it changed everything for me. And since that time, Lord, <clears throat> I've identified as being a follower of yours. Sometimes I've followed really, really well. Other times I've been more crawling. Sometimes I'm not sure I wasn't crawling backwards. But I'm a follower. And I'm in a room full of folks, a good many of them, Lord, that are also followers. And when we hear the words of Billy Graham or when we think about this message and we think about our circle of influence, we would like nothing more than for those people to come to a saving understanding of Jesus Christ. And so I'm praying <clears throat> by the power of conviction you would give the Alive community the courage to invite people to come and see. Just come and see. We'll figure it out together.
know, things we're going to like, things we're not going to like. But if this is real, you need to come see. Come see with me. And Lord, all of us are scarred. All of us have things in the past. Those scars can't be things that hold us back. Give us the courage, not from our scars, but from yours. Press on, Commander. Press on, O King, and we'll follow. And I pray for any in the room. Listen, if this is your day, and God has spoke to your heart, and you're coming and seeing it, and you're thinking, man, if that's real, I want to give my life to that. Listen, I invite you to join me. Bend the knee. <clears throat> what does it look like? I think it looks a little different for everybody, but it starts with you saying, I want you to be Savior and Lord. Just tell God like you'd be talking to another person. I want you to be Savior and Lord of my life. Invite him in to your life. And he'll start changing you from the inside out. Maybe sign up for the deepen class. Maybe tell someone you love and respect, hey, I bent the knee today. And this week, some of us are going to come face to face with the friends on our list out there. And we're going to get sweaty. <laughs> our heart's going to beat fast. And we're going to say, you want to come and see? Jesus is changing my life. I'd love for him to change yours. So God, have your way. Have your way. Call us to a higher level of following. Use our scars for your good and your glory. In your name, amen.